Can you, can you hear me, Mr. Mobat? Can you hear me now? Now you can hear me. Okay. AFI Backstage Stories Man, you got some lovely hands here. Do you moisturize? I'm sorry? I tried all sorts of brand of lotion. I even went fragrant free for a whole year. Now my sister, she uses um, uh, 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 aloe vera with a little sunscreen in it. Uh, yeah. Uh. And ideally speaking, we all should wear gloves to go to bed. But I found out that that would be a little interference in my social agenda, you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plus I get a reaction from the camphor. So I really don't get into the traditional remedies, uh, you know. I see. Yeah. Hey Jordan, what are you doing to your fingers there? Just some lotion? I'm adding very, very thick lotion to my fingers because this excessive hand washing is basically cracking my skin in the night and I wake up with bloody bloody knuckles. Same here. I got bl I got bloody knuckles, mate. I can't keep this fucking dry weather off my fingers. Uh, every fucking time I gotta wash my hands for two minutes. Those liberals wanna wash me hands. It's fucking, fucking awful, Mike. Can't keep the fucking dry skin off my hands. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to start the episode. Just do Jordan whale sounds or whatever that was. Oh, it's me, Jordan fucking Prince, Mike. I'm up here with Mo Bet. Mo Bet on the line. We're on the phone. He's over there in the Orbis store for me in Munich. And I'm adding some lotion to me hands, mate. <laughs> Do you want to uh, stick to that kind of accent? Can you, can you call this accent or just bullshit to the for the rest of the episode? But it's not an accent, bruh. Mate, it's not an accent, mate. It's a way of life. You stop talking like that, you can't change it willy-nilly. I think it's blending into Jimmy. <laughs> I think stop before anyone gets offended. I have never seen anyone Oi. putting his wedding ring on in such a smooth way. You sadly, like well, now, now my sadly, hands got lotion not... over it, so it just slides down. I wish we had a video podcast. Mm, that's the next step for sure. If this, if this, if Corona continues, we should just introduce a YouTube edition to it. But I just did a screenshot of you putting it on, so we can add that on social media. Nice. You can tell people it's my dick. <laughs> <laughs> With some Photoshop, yes. We surely can. <laughs> With some Photoshop. Make it look uh, true to size. Um, yeah, dude. So, here we are on the line, artsy-fartsy through the phone. And... It's weird. It's fucking crazy. It's a really weird time, man. I feel like whenever I leave the house, I feel like every person that I see on the street, because also, I don't know how it is on your side, um, but in Munich, people don't people don't give a fuck, man. They're everywhere, especially old people. I always feel like everyone I see is infected, and I'm scared like of people. It's really weird. Funny that you also say that, because um, I also do other podcasts here, and I talked about exactly this topic with three different people already. And everyone has the same impression. It's the same here. They're, of course, really? Oberstdorf, smaller town, smaller village. Um, they're not that yeah. many people anyway, especially since um, tourism has obviously also been shut down. Um, but the people you meet yeah, in like supermarkets right? and stuff are also old people. It seems like the, the people who are staying home yeah. are younger people and families. Um, but the elderly just give a fuck. 
and I all I Dude, and I already heard some 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 kind of statements from from elder people like yeah we survived World War Two what what should this coronavirus do to us and it's super ignorant because it's not only Dude, about yourself it's so dumb maybe I don't know if you're 80 years old and give a fuck if you die tomorrow or in two years okay you're a thing but you can still yeah um, carry the virus and infect others. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, like, they don't give a shit. I mean, the thing is, I'm scared to give them the illness because I don't want them to get sick yeah. and die. But if they don't give a shit, they could get it and give it to, like, their healthcare worker or, like, their, you know, their day nurse or, or whatever, their, their brother-in-law. And then he could get it and he could die. Or it's just, like, stay the fuck home, people. Stay home. I've been to the supermarket and it's been like an arcade game trying yes. to avoid... <laughs> Yeah. Any like, type like of content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy, man. We just, um, yeah, we're just trying to trying to fill up uh, fill up the time here. Basically, like, um, besides, you know, playing a lot of extra music here. I've been we we downloaded um, the Apple Arcade for the for the projector. Ooh. How so is that's it? been really cool. It's really cool. It takes a while to set up. I think it's better with some controllers. I think I'm going to order some controllers. But you can use that little Apple remote and you can use your phone. And I think mm -hmm. with two or three people, some of the games are going to be really fun. I've only done a couple of them with Efi, and she's not a gamer. She's really real <laughs> bad. She's real bad at it. <laughs> Dude, I downloaded um, Disney Plus as soon as it was released in Europe two days ago. Oh, two days ago already. Well, that's perfect timing. Yeah. And wow. I did not start watching The Mandalorian yet. Mm -hmm. um, I really want, I want to, to, but there are only two episodes out. And I don't like to watch um, shows where they release um, one episode after another, because then you watch the first two. And if it's good, you're like, oh, fuck, I want to see more. And then you wait, watch something else. Right. And if it's not like something like Game of Thrones, where you really stick to it, even if there are one or two weeks between the episodes. Yeah. If it's not that great, you just, I don't know, you, you'll you stop watching it and yeah. watch something else. And so I, I'll wait until um, there are more episodes and episodes with Baby Yoda, finally. Yeah, then you can, yeah, then you can binge it. They have such a huge program. You start to realize what the fuck is, um, is, is going with Disney. What they, they own bought. everything, man. They got, they got, all seasons of The Simpsons, obviously all the the old uh, Disney cartoons. I started watching DuckTales yesterday. Oh, nice. <laughs> I haven't seen that in forever. <laughs> I'm super into it now. And they got everything. All the Marvel stuff. Anything. Yeah. I mean, you could probably go through the entire... You could probably watch Marvel movies from morning to night throughout this entire corona crisis and still not finish them. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's 11 weird. years of movies. It's crazy. Yeah. And for now, and I got, I'm, I'm on that, that, that free trial week now. Um, it seems like it has a, a better offer than Netflix for me now. But that's also because I've, after a while, you've seen most of the stuff you want to see on Netflix. Yeah, that's true. You get burned out. We got really lucky the other day because we discovered that Netflix just released um, this uh, limited series called The Tiger King. Have you seen it yet? No. I okay. Heard anything about I can't. It at all. I can't recommend anything more than this show. It's. It's a. Okay. I, I don't want to give too much away, but it's a. It's a documentary series. It's seven episodes, and it's the most like intoxicating, 
like captivating humans I've ever seen. They're insane. They're they're like the worst part of America, but also the most the best entertainment you've ever seen. It's it's wild, man. Like please watch this show so I can talk about it with you. Okay. Like like uh, stories like you told us the last two episodes in this podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of, but imagine if I was like really proud of it and was kind of oblivious and uh was absolutely like a methed out <laughs> country boy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um Shit, man. But yeah, man. So I want to let's talk about um, you know, something we do on AFI backstage is talking about a theme and the differences between how you saw them as a kid in Germany and how I saw them as a kid in the States. And I think something that really binds us is music. So I'm really curious, you know, what was like the first band you remember getting into? Um I had that band for quite a while. We called ourselves Sam Chesson. We just switched the first two letters of um the words jam session and it was sam oh Jesson. wait this was the first band you were in this was the first band i was in as far as i remember ah. there were some kind of school projects before but this was the first actual band i was in i was like 14 13 14 when we started this sam thing. sam jesson <laughs> jesson we were, <laughs> we were obviously like like super bad i got I got my first electric guitar for, I don't know, 100 bucks or something. But mm -hmm. it was quite a good deal for that money. Um, and I, and I, a friend of my dad, you know him, um, Florian Jäger? Yeah, yeah, guitar of course. Dude. And he found some, some, some crazy Korean company who built super cheap copies of, of Fender guitars, but in a quite good quality. Mm -hmm. And I bought one of those and we just started playing. <laughs> and it was Man. obviously like 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 super bad shit three chords what was the style um, like was it more punky or metal or rock no not at all it was it was more like i don't know like a, like a 60s vibe that's also like like a british well, 60s cool. vibe that's that's also why we, after a while we started to define ourselves as mods you know the whole do you know the whole mod movement was the the counterpart oh, to, yeah. to, the, to the rockers yeah absolutely. have you seen um Quadrophenia, the movie? No, not yet. It's so good. Um, Quadrophenia, by, I'm write that down. Because in, in Brighton, where we've been, at, this, at the seaside, uh -huh. um, at, the, at the huge pier, there's been, in, uh, in 67 or something, there's uh -huh. been a huge fight between mods, and, mods on their Vespas and their suits and rockers <laughs> and their leather jackets and, and motorbikes. And they've Fuck. been meeting there and it was like a humongous fight through the whole city <clears throat> um, i would love to see that and it was kind of i don't know maybe the the, the biggest inspiration were bands like like the who obviously the beatles and stuff i know mm -hmm. how we we got there um and was like uh like experimental blues rock but um you could point out the experimental <laughs> in sense <laughs> yeah, of yeah. we were not knowing what we were doing um and just started to jam out and everyone had has learned an instrument before but in a classical way mm -hmm. then i started to get in some some blues stuff yeah and so we started three chords guitar solos on the on the basic pentatonics that's it nice man yeah i feel like a lot of germans who i've spoken to about getting into music that either they start with a classical background or they if they're more into rock that they usually lean towards blues i think that's pretty interesting like a lot yeah. of musicians that i've talked to 
young or old, just really into blues. And I, I remember the first bands I was really interested in probably had roots in blues. Like my dad used to show me like Led Zeppelin, for example. And they're famous yeah. for having ripped off like a lot of, you know, like, I don't know, Muddy Waters or Lead Belly riffs and stuff. And it works, but it was like this, it was twisted into this kind of this heavier metal sound. Yeah. But I never really started off like, I'm going to listen to blues, you know? And I think a lot of Germans do. I think that's pretty interesting. I wonder why that is. I wonder too, but um, for me, it was like, I don't know, as a, as a pretty young kid so at the age of six or something um i got into the beatles because my oh, mom yeah. had yeah. this this huge um beatles poster in my parents uh, bedroom mm -hmm. this this super uh, crazy acid inspired beatles poster it was super impressive for me as a little child um, what was inspired the, what was it like like acid inspired oh 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 oh, oh. I, I I gotta I gotta I gotta Google it and 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 send you a photo of it. It's super crazy. And yeah, I want to see that. Super many different colors and the faces are looking surreal and stuff. And as a kid, it was pretty impressive because it was looking super weird. And then yeah. um, my mom gave me a I don't know if it, if it was a, a a cassette MC or a CD. I can't remember. And mm -hmm. I started um, listening to the Beatles and found them pretty cool. And then my dad, I don't know. I guess it was like on on car rides with my dad where he had some yeah. some some muddy waters CDs on and I I was only seven or eight years old at that time mm -hmm. and I found it super cool. Absolutely. Um, super influential, like especially at that age. Anything you hear, especially from your dad, yeah. if you have a good relationship with him, it changes your yeah. whole life. You know, my yeah. dad showed me like Queen and what was he what else was he really into? Like I remember Queen and Zeppelin being like the main forefront of what he was really into. And then like Crosby, Stills and Nash. Ooh. But he wasn't really into Bob Dylan. I think he's he was more into people who could really sing very powerfully yeah. or sing with good harmonies. And Dylan, for him, just like the tone of his voice or like the fact that it was kind of all over the place just didn't, you know, he wasn't like a lyric man. He was more of like a melody man. Yeah. And then it took me to, I was like well into my teenage years to get into Dylan. Then I was like, <gasps> everything I've learned before now is useless. You know, it's like changed everything <laughs> for me when I got into Dylan. Yeah. You could break it down. What my dad showed me at a, a child's age was like, I, I break it down to, to three artists. I remember they could be more, but it was like ACDC, Bob Dylan, oh, and yeah, yeah. this old blue stuff, like from Robert Johnson to BB King and anything. Oh, nice. Nice. And, um, I don't know. As a kid, I also really liked um, ACDC and I imagined um, the singer also to be a very angry kid because of his voice. <laughs> Is it the, the original, like Bon, bon Scott? Um, he I think the original anything, singer. So b both of it. So Bon Scott. Yeah, whatever his who, name was. Wh yeah, I can't remember it. Brian, Brian Johnson. Uh, he's the I second guess. one. He's Brian Johnson. He's the second one. Is back yeah. in black. And, and then and Bon Scott was the TNT. Yeah, exactly. But they both sounded like 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 angry kids like me when I was upset with my parents for anything and stuff. <laughs> But when I was not in that mood, um, I didn't understand Bob Dylan as a child. I just I was. It was lame for me. I, was I like, think I okay. found him at the right time. I found him at when yeah. I was like a moody, a moody teenager who like didn't know his place in the world. And yeah. I heard like the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. And I was like, this means everything to me. This was the same situation when I found my love for Bob Dylan. And the third thing was this whole blue stuff. And that's what I, what I, um, 
yeah, somehow got stuck. Then I um, I wanted to learn um, upright bass, mm-hmm. and it was it wasn't it wasn't possible because here on the countryside, the next teacher would have been like thirty kilom- kilometers kilometers away and my parents <laughs> couldn't, <laughs> couldn't couldn't drive me and um obviously you need an upright bass and as a kid yeah. it's super um hard to get an instrument and so my dad was like giving me one of his old um electric basses and was like yeah here you go here you have a bass and a book and just start and so i just started practicing on my own with this bass and some some leaks i learned from from this book yeah and it was getting too boring and then i wanted to play the guitar and my mom was like yeah there's this one teacher i already had um had guitar classes with him and she al- she also um sang with him she was singing classical pieces and he was um playing playing guitar anyway and he's he was i guess the most influential guy in my musical um growing up yeah and but he was like a guy who was totally focused on classical music right? at first. And so I started there for two or three years only playing classical guitar. And then at some point, um, he found his love for blues, I guess, through me because it was it was in him. But the last 20 years before, he was this, this super conservative guy in the sense of music, only focusing yeah. on classical and... Um, contemporary music he was he's also a c- composer for contemporary music yeah. in very very strange fields and then we both discovered okay blues is fun to play and we started to play basic blues licks and old songs and that's the point where i got into this band <laughs> crazy man yeah for me for me for blues like um, as an art form, it was something like as a technique, it was something that I was learning through exploring my interest in rock music. So I was learning some rock riffs and going back and, and kind of deconstructing them and realizing that this had a lot of basis or a lot of foundation in, in, in blues or it was like rooted from blues. And so for me, that was always something I was learning on the back end. Yeah. But, but in general, like, you know, major blues artists who have had such a big influence on uh, I don't know, you know, thousands of artists uh, that those artists, you know, like Muddy Waters or Lead Belly or whatever, were people that I had to go back consciously and research, like as an active act of wanting to learn about them. It wasn't something that came naturally. You know, it was like, I, I want to know more about who are these blues guys who inspired the people that, you know, that that inspired the people that inspired me. So it was something that I had to consciously go back and, and, and learn about, but blues was never like my initial go-to. It's funny, like, I guess it was all based around my dad when I was young. It was, you know, around these, these strong singers and, and strong harmonies and like strong songwriting. And, um, you know, after I got into Queen, I mean, I still find myself humming like good old fashioned lover boy. That's just such a cool <laughs> song. It's so cool. It has all this attitude. It's like sassy, but it's like, it's like, it's very masculine and feminine at the same time, which is something yeah. that Queen did perfectly, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know, I was into like Black Sabbath, then I got into Pink Floyd. And then like my dad was kind of my first musical inspiration. Everything he would show me, I would more or less get into pretty quickly. But then around the time I was a teenager, 
the next person, like big person of influence was uh, this guy, Todd Gurley, who owned this small record store in my hometown. It was called Top Shelf Records. And I still have some of the t-shirts that we wore around then. It's like 12 years ago. Um, but he had this record store in the town. And I remember seeing like a David Bowie vinyl in the window. And I was like, what is this shop? This looks cool. And man, I just started going there. No joke, like five or six days a week, sometimes just to buy stuff or just to talk to the, to Todd. And we became like best friends. We still talk. We were talking this week and, um, he became a big influence on my taste in film and in music. And he was the guy who was like, you know, he, he showed me, you know, LCD sound system and MGMT and Vampire Weekend and, you know, Arcade Fire, Elliot Smith, The Flaming Lips. Um, he got me into some old classics. Like, I didn't know anything about Sonic Youth. I didn't know much about Arctic Monkeys. He just really opened up my, my this window, this floodgate of great music. And Bob Dylan was like the big signature artist that once it came to me, I started comparing everything I was into off of Dylan. I was like, this doesn't even remotely compare <laughs> to what this guy's doing. Like, I'm throwing that out, you know? <laughs> it was wild, man. But what I wondered, because th that was a big topic for me in my youth, was the, the, the conflict, somehow conflict, between what I was into through the music I was playing and mm -hmm. the whole the whole thing I got to through my family and my own experiences versus the music my friends were listening to, which I also got into, but it was a, a complete separate thing. So for, on my own, I was into obviously blues, blues rock, psychedelic stuff. And then <clears throat> at some point I got into um, this whole indie thing. Like Arctic Monkeys were a huge thing for me. Yeah. And punk rock. Yeah. And punk rock. And my friends around me listened to Mainly hip hop and reggae, and I also found oh, funny. Some, some 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 love for that. But it was all always kind of a thing. I I really liked the music when I was with them, and I could recognize it. But I I wouldn't play it on my own. Right, right. Did yeah. you have something something similar, or, or was it were you in a bubble where it was kind of the same? So you had a group of friends, well, and you were all into this kind of music. Well, actually, it was kind of the opposite. I mean, I had really good friends um, in that town. I'd say like maybe three or four really good friends. And we had all like the exact same taste. We were all listening okay. to the stuff that, that Todd was giving us. But the the bad part was like just outside of that small circle, it was still a very small, very Southern, very Christian, very conservative town in Mississippi. So... Um, <laughs> So, you know, all the music around that was a, was a toxic cocktail of, you know, top 40 pop that was just not my thing at the time at all. I've gone back to appreciate artists like Destiny's Child or Mary J. Blige or, you know, Genuine or whatever from the time. But um, the, it was, you know, top 40 pop um, or, you know, I think the, the biggest hip hop tracks at the time were like... Uh, To the window, to the wow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just didn't, I just didn't vibe with like all these, you know, 12 year old white kids being like, till the sweat drops down my balls, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and then, and then the third, like, uh, most terrible, uh, combination was, was just country, man. Country music was, is still in that region, like alive and popping. And it just, it just, it made, it made my skin crawl, man. It made me want to like push 
like uh, maybe want to push people off of cliffs. Like, why are you listening to this? Why are you making me listen to this? I hated it. Um, I could never, ever get into that. So, and we had our small group of like, you know, highly influential songwriters that we were really into and like great up and coming indie bands that were changing the sound. And like, I had these, I was really into the killers and Arctic monkeys and like British stuff. And well, killers are American, but still like really into this new wave indie sound. And, um, and then on the outside of those people, it was just all that garbage, like really bad top 40 country and, and pop. You know, we felt like we had our own cult kind of going on. But regarding country, I gotta admit one guy, I fell in love with at the same age I talked about the Beatles, like five or six years old, was definitely Johnny Cash. Oh, he I, came later for me as well. I I got into Johnny Cash as a as a as a small kid, and it was like, it was something you could you could refer to, especially as a as a boy in Europe, having mm -hmm. never seen, fun fact to the to to the date, um, any part of the U.S. and but as a kid, you're obviously I don't know. You're imagining you're you're a cowboy or something, and 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 and, and playing this whole stuff. You got all the stories around you, and then there's Johnny Cash, and this this music seems to 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 fit that. And yeah, he has a deep, very impressive voice. He does this. God, his voice, yeah, he, it's amazing. He, he, it's pretty pretty basic, pretty easy, but it has a strong vibe to it. Of I don't know, sitting on a horse, you can hear the train like five miles away. Oh yeah, man! <laughs> and He something. was such a vibe maker, and and so I really got into Johnny Cash, and am still today. Very yeah, very absolutely. impressive musician. Um, have you absolutely. ever seen Walk the Line? Yes, that was one of my favorite movies when I was a teenager. Dude, I was I loved I, that movie. I was in fall. I was in the cinema watching Joker, and it was like already an hour passed, and then I I realized. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix, he played Johnny Cash. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and it wasn't a, it wasn't a super weird moment because every there was this this crazy tension in in the in the theater because this this Joker is super intense movie and yeah, I was super like, intense. "Oh, that guy's Johnny Cash." <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Shut up. We know." <laughs> no, but um that Yeah, but he's I, crazy I man. That's my only connection to country music, I guess. Yeah, Johnny Cash is about as far as it goes for me. I mean, there's some old stuff, similar to the way I had to consciously go back to learn about certain blues artists. There's certain country artists that were really influential that I had to go back and learn to appreciate. Like, I don't know. I mean, Hank Williams, of course, a lot of a lot of Germans are really into Hank Williams when they think of country. And I mean, and that's, again, it's it's just, it's such a strong vibe. You can really hear, you know, this old style you can see why it influences so many people. And like, I really, I really can appreciate, you know, what he'd done. And like Woody Guthrie was the biggest influence for Dylan, you know, and Dolly Parton, Dolly Parton, like changed the whole fucking game. She's a legend. And, you know, I got a lot, a lot of respect for her. And, and honestly, for me, someone that my dad showed me when I was younger, who is technically country, but has bent the genres, bent the genre a lot, a lot of different ways is, uh, Hank, um, no, um, Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson. I'm a big, I'm a big Willie Nelson fan. And, uh, I was talking about that with a couple of older cats, um, a few months ago. They, someone asked me what my favorite country artist was. And I was like, I think it's Willie Nelson. And they were like, man, that's so dumb. What a bad answer. And I was like, how can you judge an opinion on like, <laughs> what's so naive? Like they don't know, you know what I mean? Like Willie Nelson's worth paying attention to. He's, I saw him live 
maybe 15 years ago and he was already a thousand years old but yeah and um, have you seen his guitar with this he plays a nylon string guitar with this oh yeah there's a huge, huge hole, ass in it. hole in it and you're like dude how can you still play that and how does it still sound good but one thing i always wanted to ask you and i never got to it since we're mm-hmm. in that that whole country vibe and stuff you being from the south of the usa yeah what what's your opinion on leonard skinner Leonard Skinner, oh fuck, man! There's four or five songs I think slam. I love four or five songs very much, and then the rest of the catalog I never really got into. But what I never really understood was, I don't know this the 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 political part about it because I never, um, I never got a feeling for okay, what may what might be too much southern patriotism and what's okay. Oh yeah. That's something I never got into because I love a few songs and for me, um, Free Bird is still the greatest guitar solo of all time before Stairway That's legendary. to Heaven. Um, yeah, yeah, And yeah. I, I really love a lot of songs of them, but I always thought like every time I see uh, <clears throat> the, the flag, what's its name again? It's the Confederate flag. flag. Yeah, the Confederate flag. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I think a lot of a lot of conservative Confederate people in in the South of of North America, you know, they look for symbols and idols and artists that they can kind of you know glob their ideology onto. And I think it's very easy for people who get famous from that region to be, you know, symbols of that of that sort of patronage or that kind of mentality. And, you know, I don't know much about Leonard Skinner's um, history or about their, about their, you know, feelings towards anything political, but um, it could be that they, you know, strongly represented the South and wanted to consciously be this, you know, Confederate symbol. Maybe they were, I don't know. I, I think for me, even if they are that, I can disagree with it and still appreciate, you know, three or four yeah. good rock songs. Of course. Um, but the South does that with everything, man. Like there's just, there's just some, you know, highly uneducated, highly conservative, you know, highly terrified gun toting people from that area that just love the, 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 the moment that there's an, an artist or a celebrity getting attention who might share similar, feelings as them they they instantly attach onto it's it's kind of like trump it's like he said what he needed to say to get these people to be like he speaks for us you know even though he doesn't you know maybe leonard skinner was similar i don't know but yeah the confederate flag itself is definitely a really really outdated symbol of racism and if you know if they're an artist that chose to use that as their as their banner well into the modern age then that's their mistake i think that's really dumb You know, we know, we both know band that that use the flag in a kind of adapted way <laughs> to the day. Yeah, that's the thing too. Is like a lot of Europeans don't, or maybe a lot of people outside of America don't get what that Confederate flag really stands for. Yeah, and I, you know, some people just think it represents like country music and like you know cowboys and then like a tough Southern simple life and this whole vibe. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just like the country rock vibe and like I get what they're saying. But I think when they're told what it really stands for and they don't change it, it's kind of like, "Oh, what are you doing?" <laughs> like, you know, I'm trying to help you out. But yeah, we both yeah, I mean, we probably we shouldn't say it, but we both know a band like who who did it 
not from America, but they 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 use that symbol because of they think it means this like country rock uh, vibe, you know. Uh, but uh, they're not racist people. I know they're not, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but talking about about racism that um people don't get that they're racist like i i read a, a super funny joke yesterday um one one guy is is telling um his his older sister please stop calling the coronavirus china virus because it's super racist and then she yeah. answers and then she answers yeah but it's come from china so it's the china virus and he's like Yeah, you also came from our mom's vagina. We still call you Julia. <laughs> oh my God. I think that's like, that's this whole debate about what to call, this whole debate about what to call coronavirus other than coronavirus. I think <laughs> it's so, it's like the most useless thing to be like, why is this an issue in a moment of crisis? Yeah. Why? Why is there a photo of Trump, you know, marking out the word Corona to put Chinese or Wuhan virus or I I've heard everything, dude. It's like, why, why make a racist issue out of a completely non-racist issue? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why is that even a thing? I don't get it at all, Confederate fuckers. Have you have you seen the 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 Cardi B memes? Oh hell yeah, dude! Cardi B memes are amazing. With her standing, <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. But dude, I can't understand Cardi B's Instagram when she starts videos oh, no. and starts shouting at me. First of all, I have kind of a, a language problem because she's so fast and has such crazy intonations that it's really yeah, hard to understand really for strong, me. Yeah. And the whole wife's like, okay, why is this why is this woman shouting at me? <laughs> But I really I really <laughs> like, like I'm the, sorry, I'm sorry. I really <laughs> like the video where they they um they cut her into the into the, the Trump speech where he turns around and then she she's like coronavirus oh, yeah. <laughs> And he's like what 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 <laughs> The security guard runs up to protect him. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I Dude, I about, think I, um, I've never listened to a Cardi B, Cardi B thong, song, I guess. Um, I've heard, definitely heard two or three. Yeah, they're pretty, I mean, when she does like a cameo spot on someone else's track, I think that's stronger. It's kind of like when Nicki Minaj first came on the scene, she was like a cameo <laughs> spot on, on like Kanye <laughs> tracks. And I was like, fuck, that's fire. Um... But there's one great meme where um, a guy, a guy has like a very sweaty, like paranoid face, like really scared face. And the top says, when someone on the train coughs, and then like in his head is a picture of Cardi B. And you just hear it. <laughs> you know, you just look at it and you hear her saying like, coronavirus. <laughs> But that's, that's the, 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 I think the highest um, possible evolution of, of memes when a video gets so popular that you just can put this little image um, yeah. in there and you, you just hear put it. that picture yeah yes oh god it's perfect she's she's nailed it she just she just <laughs> is a viral personality can you imagine that a friend of mine and me he's also working um for radio but for um for a public broadcaster svr um mm -hmm. and we were we we're thinking for maybe about a year now, how we could um, bring memes to radio or podcasts to, a, to an auditive output. Oh, 
I wonder how, I don't know. It seems like such a visual, yeah. such a visual uh, medium. I wonder how, I mean, there must be a certain way. I know these old radio jockeys in the States had all these, like a huge soundboard of effects. Yeah. You know, and a lot of, a lot of podcasts I listen to still even use that same system. They have like a small, even like a keyboard of like five set drops that they'll use when they want to, you know, emphasize a punchline. Yeah. Could be something like that. Sadly, we don't have one. Dude, when we get, okay, when we bump up our, uh, our catalog and we get like a soundboard and shit, I want to have coronavirus as the... (laughs) coronavirus <laughs> as a drop we, we can do it in the studio but sadly um we're not there <laughs> yeah yeah we're doing a little a little diy this time but i think that's i think that's fine but we'll we've next um we've, we've 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 gone a, a little far i want to um know more about you and your musical evolution evolution which is pretty interesting for me because we're also playing music together in any yeah. kind of context for five years now. And it's crazy. I think I know many parts of your of your story, but not all of them. So what was what was your beginning? Especially you playing the guitar, but you still it's super weird for me me you seeing or, or me seeing you play some guitar chords which look yeah. so fucked up. What are you doing with your yeah. fingers? Where does that come from? <laughs> Tell me this story. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, the first, the first guitar that I ever got, my parents bought me this really cheap, I don't know, like a $50 electric guitar from Walmart and like a little, like a little 10 watt amp. And for like a few months, I gave it a little try, but I just didn't connect to it. And then I put it away. And then like the next year, um, my dad wanted to try and play guitar. So he bought like a really cheap acoustic and it came with a little chord book. And that's actually when I started because I they, the chord book was there, but it didn't really say like index finger here, middle finger here, whatever. It just had like three dots or four dots wherever they're supposed to go. So okay. when I saw like the A chord, I mean, any any guitarist will know, you know, it's it can be very simple on your hand, but I, I switch one of the fingers. So it looks yeah. kind of like a, like a clump, like a it's... claw or something. And for my hand, it's very comfortable and I, I can do little little riffs in that position, but it's not the right way to do it. And I think the same for certain bar chords and the same for like E major. I switch a finger and it looks funky to certain people. Like yeah. I'll, I'll play certain very simple songs like James. My song James is a very simple song, but two of the chords have these switched fingers. And sometimes when people are playing along with me, they have to, they're squinting at my hand like, what chord is that? You know, and that's for me, it's always funny because it's like, no, 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 it's just just a simple chord. But um, so I started, I started playing uh, around at the house a bit and then I got back into my electric. So then I started like learning more back on my electric and getting into that. And I would say even from then, like as soon as I learned a few chords, I was already getting into, into songwriting. Mm-hmm. That was always my main goal. I always wanted to write songs. And there was always two parts of me, and that's still very alive today. It's the acoustic songwriter part of me and the electric, more rock-influenced part. So, I always had my, I always had two projects. Whenever I started having bands around like 16, maybe 16 or 17, I always had two different projects. I would do a concert in a cafe or in the record store alone with an acoustic guitar and do the soft serenading finger-picking stuff. And then the other part, I would come back with my band, um, a few friends from the from the area, and we would play electric. And I would dress differently. I would play heavier 
just to get both parts of the personality out. And that just stayed consistently through. Like even um, when I moved to New Orleans, I always did my songwriter stuff separately from my band stuff. I had maybe three or four bands throughout college. One was like garage punk. One was like experimental folk, psychedelic sort of. And then I had my own, you know, folky singer songwriters thing. And even now, now that I've been in Germany for a few years now, um, I have my project that occasionally bends more into like Americana rock or folk rock, but it's primarily singer-songwriter stuff. And now um, I've got this new electric guitar. I've got all these pedals. I've been preparing like for whenever we can finally tour again, you know, like bringing in a heavier a heavier element into the whole into the whole set and trying to still continue to explore those those two sides. So that's from day one up until present day, that's that's kind of always been the goal to keep those two sides alive. And that's a super for me, that is what makes your music super fun to listen to and super interesting. And that's also something your first album, Twelve Friends, Twelve Songs for Twelve Friends, for me was like all the way through except of one or two little little parts, intros, outros, whatever, or bridges, yeah. um, was this whole kind of cute songwriter thing. And as lucky as I am, I got to listen to, to many stuff of the new record already. And that's a yeah. point where I don't want to spoil anything, but that's the point right. where, um, where I hear so... The spectrum gets wider. I hear so many more right. um, niches and, and aspects of... of of you as a musician and that's super interesting and one thing that's cool man that's one thing i wanted to add about your weird finger positioning um i saw a video it's already two years ago or something um where they they brought in it was like some it was uh, powered by some drum manufacturer and they brought in famous drummers like the one of the foo fighters and some others and they wanted them Mm -hmm. to recreate um drum parts of ringo Starr. And they came to a point oh, yeah. where it it wasn't possible for them to play um, the drum fills of uh, "Come Together." Oh yeah, yeah. Those super weird f- uh, fill-ins, and that comes through Ringo Starr being left-handed, but playing a setup for for a right-handed drummer. Right, right. And yeah. that's something because you also mentioned, yeah, you can play little licks through it for someone who has a classical education on guitar it looks super weird but it also brings many many new um kind of possibilities on on, on playing on, on, on your instrument like the same yeah, thing I think with the, the way yeah yeah go ahead no it's the same thing no it's just with gonna the, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> there's a there's a bit of a delay guys so i'm not trying to talk over each other <laughs> no it's the same with i don't know with with um blues guitar players who started to use to 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 roll the thumb around the fretboard and and right, using the yeah. thumb on the on the on the I love on that the, technique on the bass strings. What did you want to yeah. say? <laughs> uh, I was going to say like um yeah, I think I think this this style of playing that I have has pros and cons um to it. I mean, probably there's like a a bit of a window of the structure and the theory that I'm missing because I don't see my fingers in that way that most people do. But on the other side of things, like I also can't read music. So I think playing by ear and playing with these weird positions kind of occasionally gives me my own little flavor, which which maybe helps in a way to like be more unique or to be more in your own in your own path, you know. So 
Um, I'm happy that I can even, I'm just happy that I can play guitar. I just really <laughs> enjoy doing that. <laughs> Yeah, we can see um, that a lot, especially in the um, within isolation on your on your Instagram account. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's always fun. I think I might if if this if this Corona isolation continues, maybe I'll try and set up another another online concert, <laughs> or just um, just um, release a, a second record because you have so many ideas. Yeah, or just do another <laughs> fucking record because well, who knows how much time we'll have. That's something. Um, hey Mo, I, I yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Um, that's also something I wanted to talk about. If the whole situation now changes anything about your plans when to release the new record. And so um yeah, so let me just let me just say I think I think unfortunately this has to be the last question just because um we went over a little bit of the time, mm -hmm. which is okay, but I have to prepare lunch because we actually have to go to an appointment um Easy. soon. So um so yeah, for this record, um We we are working with the label in in Hamburg, and the booking agent is is uh, is putting everything off. Basically, we we just have to see how this whole how this whole crisis turns out because we were planning to try and get a single out by the end of April already, um, but now all that has to be pushed pushed back and reassessed. They were they were supposed to send me an email this week with a new like a new proposed schedule, but they haven't yet. I think they're just, you know, everyone's just at home dealing with this the best they can. And I think maybe in a, another month or so we'll have a new, a new schedule, but um, we were trying to get everything out for the summer, but it looks like it's going to be more of a later, later in the 2020s uh, situation. I'm hyped anyway. Looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm stoked too. Gives me more time to, to perfect it or, or ruin it. Of either course. Way. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm also looking forward to, or hope, I'm hoping that we can play at least a few shows this year. I hope so too. Man, I hope so too. It's been yeah. a, I think that's a fair and it's been a pleasure to talk to you again. Hope to been hear a, you soon. Been, the pleasure's been mine, man. And uh, for people who are listening, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in during this time. Hope you and your family are all safe and healthy. Uh, and if you like the show, please make sure to go to um, the Apple Store or wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a good review or a rating or just even tell a friend about us because uh, every little bit helps spreading the word around. So um, thanks a lot, Mo. I appreciate your time. And um, all right, guys, we'll see you on the in next week. Artsy Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Batscheider, produziert für M94.5.